an analytics department. I mean, Rangers actually don't have an analytics department per se. There's not two or three guys that sit in the back room and crunch numbers and come up with formulas and like a lot of teams do. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Man. There's no issue with that. What they want their guys to do, and Don mentioned a little, 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 little bit, is they want their guys to be well-rounded. They want to know, be able to be able to see players and scout them. They want to be able to analyze the statistics. Kind of like a little, little bit to the extent of what Dennis said. We want to be. I'm not. We're not pushing video necessarily. The whole that's video is a little different. But we want people to get a better sense of players. We're not disregarding the statistics. We're still very statistically oriented. But we want people to understand that you should see players first, then look at the results-oriented portion of that because. One of the things we, and I laugh at this every time, and, and that is going to speak very to this. Seeing statistics of high school kids is ridiculous. Um, it's just ridiculous. Number one, the competition is so different that they're facing every day. Number two is half the time those good players, the really good players, the guys you're seeing drafted in the first few rounds, are intentionally walked dozens of times. How many times have you got to a game to see a player? And the guy, the opponent, walks in three. They walk intentionally walk in three times. You know, you don't get anything out of that. So you could analyze statistics what you want, and we still do. And they mean more to us when they get to a certain point in the minor leagues. But we want to see the players from the beginning. We want to see the players for their progression, and we want to paint the full picture of the player. I think that there's this, you know, there's been this dichotomy of stats versus scouts for so long. And it's been more in the media and in public than it really has been in the front offices and teams. Teams don't really do it work that way. They never have. Um, they've always kind of combined both. I mean, the money ball thing has put ideas in people's mind that this is all people, that this is all, you know, the A's came along and they were the stats guys and they just kicked the rest of the scouts guys. The, the scouts guys are, the, were, are so important to the athletics organization and always have you know, they did some things differently because they have to maximize their their monetary situation. But they're far from, and, and, and you may kill me for saying this, but I, I believe one of the reasons why Paul DiBodesta didn't put his name in that movie is because Paul DiBodesta is a talent evaluator first. And, then, and he's on the field. He'll, he's on the field watching players for the Mets right now more than anyone else is. The guy lives at home maybe three weeks a year. He still lives out in San Diego. He's on the field all the time. And, I, and when I first met him, I was a little skeptical, you know, like some scouts are, that you know this was a stats guy, an interpretation of a stats guy. He didn't really, I mean, there's another Ivy League guy who didn't play well, didn't play much at all. But realistically, he's on the field. He's watching players every single day, ten out, eight, ten hours a day. You know, and I think there's a mis, you know, there's a perception that it's just wrong. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. Is we're we're not disregarding any one area. We want to look, keep our guys well rounded in a certain and understand players, just like a front office of the team. Does. Gentlemen, um, it's pretty funny. My friend Keith Dennerstein was the third roommate of AJ and John Daniels at Cornell. And I, both, <laughs> I, met, I met both of them when uh, John had his first job interning for Danny O'Dowd. And uh, AJ was working for Frank Robinson in, in, uh, in the commissioner's office. And at the, at the last game of the Subway Series, when the, uh, when the Yankees wrapped it up, John and I were Mets fans, uh, John from Queens. And AJ, we were all sitting upstairs. And uh, John Daniels was debating 
how it was cast when he had to get back to, to Colorado to continue his internship. So yeah. I was pretty happy when he was like, named one of the youngest GMs of baseball. Obviously, AJ and his native tongue have done pretty well in the yard. So it's really neat. That how come they have hired you to come along with them? I'm not a baseball guy. Oh, okay. I'm not a baseball guy in the peripheral. Right. So that leads into my, my question. I'm a guy that focuses on guys under the lights. And so this, this comment and question is for all of you, but start with Don, um, being that you just mentioned somebody that I wrote in my little notes, and I looked down in my notes. The players that you mentioned have the heart, but also ready to perform under the lights, big stage. You just mentioned Fred and Brick. And I was thinking of other African-American players that I grew up watching that were in your organization. And I think both these guys rose to the ranks. Willie Wilson, Tom Flash Gordon, Brevin Griff, not sure about Devon White, Jimmy Robbins, Ryan Howard. Uh, those are all guys that have performed quite well on that big stage. Now, the issue of black baseball has become kind of forefront. And 245 Park and the commissioner have done what they can. Darren Miller, who runs the Urban Youth Academy, is a friend of mine, certainly from his older brother, being one of the most competitive guys in the Michael Jordan era, he knew certainly how many young black athletes were chosen basketball, football, baseball. And I've talked about this with Adam Mann a couple of years ago when the Giants and the Rangers faced each other in the World Series. I immediately pointed out to Orlando Hudson that there was not one African-American position player on either team. And he immediately got on Twitter and talked about it on the network. So from a player's perspective, I've had these sit-downs, but from a scouting perspective, this is a real treat. Don, you've been here the longest, served from the Braves. You know, this is there's an all-black outfield in Atlanta right now, which is, I think, the first one since the Twins, Torrey Hunter, Rondell White, and uh, Jock Jones, maybe about a dozen years ago. And for the old New York Giants, we were the first black outfield behind Thompson, Ronnie Urban, and Willie Mays. From the scouting perspective, you guys are there. All those guys that had an opportunity to choose even be open to baseball. They are not even open anymore, but they're single-sport athletes and shooting football and basketball. From my hometown perspective, I think there's only one black player from New York City. He's an outfielder named Jones from Brooklyn. This is the borough that cracked the door for Jackie Robinson. We know the reasons why, but from you guys, how big of a talent pool do you feel like baseball is losing out now? And how many generations of future players will this last, in your opinion? Well, I think they're losing out a lot because I think there's a lot of tremendous black athletes play. Um, and I think you alluded to it, a lot of those guys go to football or basketball because it's more, you know, under the lot of more, I don't know, more interesting for them in <coughs> high schools or whatever. Um, the other thing is sometimes they don't have money to pay to get the equipment in baseball and so on. I, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, and uh, it's a great question. Uh, what can be done? Can each team field a team and play against other teams? The Mets against the, the Rangers, uh, you know, maybe ages 14 to 16 or something like that. Where it really needs to start, I think, is at age 10, 11, 12 where, like all baseball, that's where you've got to teach these guys to love this game. I don't, I'm a little worried that we might be losing the young, young kids for the corporate box type thing somewhat. So we've got, to get the, we've got to get the young kids at age 10, 11, and 12 to look up to our guys that are in the big leagues there 
and they got to come and help promote baseball like Colby or somebody would, you know, basketball. Or, so I think that's where you really need to start to concentrate on getting these kids love for baseball. Don, did you sign Michael Angel Belfry out of the Bronx? I really yeah. went to the previous question, went back to the Dominican Republic, went to Monroe, and now he's playing for you. Yeah, he's in the major leagues. He's originally from Dominican, and uh, but he then lived in New York, and uh, definitely a New York guy. And then I think he had his debut in New York, and was thrilled to death with his family here and everything. But I guess that's always a big topic. Tory Hunter said, "Please don't confuse African American ball player with Dominican American, maybe somebody that came yeah. from New York. We're not the same." So um, I think they'll feel a number. Baseball as a whole failed. With basketball, you look at that top ten jerseys of individual players. Baseball for years wanted to market the team game. And when Torrey Hunter, Jimmy Rollins, all these guys were in their twenties and playing at the highest level, they had this opportunity. On the end of Junior and Bonds were already on the way out. And uh, now they're desperately trying to catch up by you know having Pitbull play at the home run derby. But unfortunately the home run derby in the slam dunk contest versus All-Star Weekends. You know, if I ask four or five young African-American kids playing at the Rucker Park basketball, which is right next to where the polo grounds stood, if I ask them, take these free tickets and come with me to, to the home run derby right now, they laugh and say, are you kidding me? That's a white guy's game. So it's saddening, it's unfortunate, but I guess on the good side, this last thing I'll say is the Mets first round pick this year is a kid that did play from 10 years old on at the Urban Youth Academy uh, in Compton, and um, the Mets just gave a $2 million bonus at 17 years old, Dominic Smith from, from Los Angeles, and Darryl Strawberry had the biggest grin on his face when he greeted him on draft night, so uh, hopefully the tide starts to change a pro away from where Jackie Robinson goes. Let me out. ask you this. I see that picture right there, Dwight Gooden. Yes, sir. And I remember in 1985, that was the year we drafted Jimmy Abbott out of high school. But Dwight Gooden would, might have been the best 19, 20-year-old pitcher ever. He was phenomenal at a young age. What kind of an impact do you think Dwight Gooden would have here going around talking to young people? I, I, think, I think Dwight, from an uh, on and off the field perspective, of course, Jay... Always has the best, the best stories, and Dwight spoke right in your seat so a couple of weeks ago on Father's Day. Um, I think Dwight was handing down the game from his father, and I think he knows firsthand of how much media and amusement and sport, but not only other sports that we're competing against, it's, it's action sports, video games, and, and uh, skateboarding and whatnot. The other, the other, other allure that pull on young people, especially young African Americans. So I think to me. Curtis Granderson asked me last year, he said, I don't understand, how did you grow up in Mexico? And I said, Curtis, if you grew up in New York City in the 80s, if you were Chicago, especially being a young black athlete that cared about baseball, Dwight and, 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 and Strawberry were bigger than life. And that billboard that stood on 42nd Street, that was Jordan-like to me before Jordan. Um, unfortunately, I asked the 22, 23-year-old Sport fan, a uh, young young black man that I that I work with, I asked him the other day if he knew Dwight Good, and he said I heard a strawberry. I never heard. Of 
So uh, when, the, when the 42 movie comes out, I'm making a required watching, and we're going to watch it together, and then we'll work our way up. So, uh, yeah, I hope Doc can be out there and connect the dots to a young guy like Dominic Smith and, and figure it will sort of a great perspective. But he came from a baseball family. Obviously, his, his nephew did pretty well as well. You know, But it goes to all your guys, all you gentlemen's point that baseball as a whole, whether it's people of color or, 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 or you know, good strapping white boys from Oklahoma, the Midwest, Southwest, West Coast in particular, and, and Florida to Georgia, that's the market. It's really it's really hard to produce, and Darrell Miller said this, the success of RBI Harvard is more financial and character building than it is actually building athletes that have any chance of playing pro ball on any level. So I think uh, the, the point for me, I mean, and Jason knows I'm the biggest Dominic Smith fan ever. Um, You're too high on This is our scouting debate here about Dominic Smith and so we got to know Dominic Smith pretty well over the past couple of years, and and I guess the other the other player in that is, is J.B. Crawford. Is the other you know they, they came out of the same area, and I think that we, you have to start to see you know those kind of kids develop, and those are the kind of kids that lead that next. And he was he was very vocal about you know the program he went through to help develop him in, in urban settings and all that stuff, and I think that that has to be more. Um, it's being made known more to the public. I know that the commissioner's office has a special task force going on right now that's undertaking this. Yeah. Um, I don't know how far-reaching that'll get. I mean, they're trying. In yeah. that sense, well, it remains to be seen. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, and right, and they're, and, they're, and they're blasting a little bit. I mean, again, there's there's so many there's so many societal things like you know, Don was saying uh, the money situation. So I think we have to make this has to be a concerted effort to get. You know, not wipe out all fields in some areas where there are, you know, in the urban areas, there has to be more fields made available to these kids. Sure. And, and, you know, not just pave over everything and things like that. Um, but I think that we need to see some of those kids that are high draft picks kind of start to make the case for these kids so that those they can follow and see that this is feasible and this is possible to follow on that path. I agree. Just one last thing that we'll, we'll keep it, we'll keep it um, informal. You guys want to just talk to us after. So just one more and then we'll let I was curious about obviously there are many players who do well in triple A and, and really don't either mediocre or don't get to go at all at the major league I was curious if you ever I'm sure you've thought about it many times, about the players who really do succeed in triple A, but then no one makes it in the major Is there anything I mean other than injury, is there anything you can either discern that why these guys don't make it in the majors? I mean it's something that you miss you think or something just well, I think the major league game is the major league game, and every level up to the major league game is an adjustment. So a lot of times today, though, you'll see guys come out of double A and go to the major leagues from double A. Some of the more efficient, more better players have come out of double A to the major leagues, but... Triple-A is a league that's designed to more fine-tune a player. They're going to get guys that pitch, that know how to pitch, that get around the strike zone, that'll give you the change-up, that'll give you a look that you may not have had up to ladders up to that point where you might be just seeing hard throwers in the minor leagues and so on. And Double-A, it starts to change. But Triple-A, there's more veteran type players that have been around the block that you know know how to play the game and 
And I think, uh, you know, having been an advance scout with the Blue Jays in 1992 and 93, it was a great experience because, uh, as Jason earlier said, that it's far more than just tools. It's usable tools. It's how you use those talents that that you have and how you can adjust those talents to the major league level. So those advanced scouts in the major leagues are going to find the guy's weakness and they're going to know how to, you know, how to try to pitch to a guy and they're going to know the guy's strengths and the guy's weaknesses. And then it becomes a matter of the pitcher or the hitter just adjusting to the adjustment. So I'd say basically an answer to that is uh, most guys that do not perform at a major league level that did perform at triple A level have trouble making adjustment to the finer aspects of the game. Can I just go back to the man's question earlier? Here in New York City, Gary Perrone, I'm going to address what you said about the inner city baseball here. Gary Perrone and John Franco started the top 100 league last year for the fall. The resistance that they received from the area coaches was tremendous. They didn't want their players leaving their team to learn from four big leaguers. Doesn't add up. Exactly. Exactly. Now, from a scout standpoint, we I've gone to their games. They played in Brooklyn at the Cyclone Stadium. I've gone there to see them play. And I've talked to the kids. I've seen what what they're doing. What, when you got Johnny Franco, who should still be on the ballot for the Hall of Fame, but unfortunately is not. I mean, and you're an area. I mean, a travel coach that's going to know more about baseball and say you can't play for him this fall because you got to play for me. I think that New York coaches need to put their ego aside and let the kids go play and learn the right way. And then you'll see the kids from New York City expand. I've drafted two kids from the city in the last three years. All right, I'm drafting them relatively high. Mike Antonio out of George Washington, we drafted in the third round, Kansas City. Last year, we drafted Finelli Sanchez, who we're talking about organizations. I was the only scout to saw him. The next day, he broke his ankle and played the rest of the year. So our organization took a chance on it. But more kids will have the opportunity to be seen by more scouts because they're being in one area. You know, example today, it took me three hours to get here from Westchester. <laughs> come on. Come on. Now, it's, it's impossible we talk about scouting around the world, around the country. There's scouts in Florida say, oh, I can go see three games a day. You gotta, you gotta come to New York. Try to see two games a day. They got to be real close together, and then, and then it still might not happen. But if you got the opportunity to see the best 100 players or 100 players at one time in a pro park, where you can see what they look like on the field, physically, all right, and wh- how they react to it, and what they can do, learning the their perception you're learning from big league guys which would be equivalent to learning in the minor leagues, the player development, you see what kind of aptitude they have. And everything just adds to it. 
right. <laughs> we'll just end the formal part here. I do want to. I want to thank everybody up here. Um, thanks, guys. Really appreciate you spending taking the time today. Um, they were great questions. So thank you all for participating and taking part. <laughs> I do want to introduce, I know Jason mentioned another member of our prospect team based on perspectives. This is Jason Cole, and Jason does a lot of Texas, and he's rolling all over the country right now with Jason Park, so thanks for coming, Jason. Um, we'll be hanging around a little bit, and um, you know, if you want to ask us any other questions informally, but thank you again for everything. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.